0: What an amazing episode with Joe John Duran, my friend, my business partner, this guy is an icon coming at us, former uh, entrepreneur and CEO who sold his business to Goldman Sachs in 2019, was the head of PFM and ACO, just ran a massive business at Goldman, just left that business last year and um, we've been working on our new business, Rise With Partners, but got him to come to the show. I mean, just such an awesome conversation really got to go deep on his philosophies of, and just he's had two huge exits in his business i mean really this is a show that every entrepreneur needs to listen to hope you enjoy guys welcome to today's episode of the greatest machine i'm your host darius Mershaw's name Boy, do we have a special guest my man joe duran is in the house what's up joe john
1: hey Darius, good to be here man
0: oh man i'm so pumped to have you here Joe John, do you mind if I do a little bit of housekeeping and then we're going to get going?
1: I might dreadfully, yes. Don't (laughs) ruin my day with housekeeping. Oh, no. Go Uh, ahead. Go
0: ahead. All right. I'm doing it. So listeners who are new to the show, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. People are living their passions and those creating greatness in the world and doing so despite the odds. And my man Joe here is neither short of passion nor greatness. So I'm going to give a little bit of color here on how I know Joe John because um, we've met – so we met three years ago. And I was launching my book, I'm talking about my book all the time. And we have a mutual friend in common, Matt Stewart. And I said, and I say to Matt, and Matt goes, Oh, you're you're launching your book. You, you gotta talk to my friend Joe John. You know, he's he got on all these t- news stations, and I mean he's New York Times bestseller. I'm like, Yeah, sure, why not? So we had a call. Joe Joe was very gracious, gave me 30 minutes of his time, talked about his book launch when I'm, I'm I'm doing the, the core value equation. And then, uh, and then, you know, and then we kind of fell off. He was busy, busy guy. And we'll talk about why he was so busy, but he was a partner at Goldman Sachs at the time. And then, uh, you know, that was the end of it. It was just like, Oh, cool. Like two acquaintances, no big deal. Fast forward three years later, I end up in the wealth management space. Now, what I didn't say a moment ago was that Joe John was the, (laughs) he was the head of wealth for Goldman Sachs for the whole world. And so I'm, I'm in the space now, so I'm kind of paying attention and I see in one of the industry publications that Joe Duran was leaving Goldman and right around the same time you had done Matt Stewart's podcast. So I email Matt. I don't know if you know the story. I emailed him. I said, Hey Matt, I have two questions for you. Number one, do you think Joe will do my podcast? And number two, do you think he'll be an advisor for my at the time he, um, private equity fund that I'm starting? And he goes, yes to number one. I don't think so for number two, <laughs> so <laughs> you got I, I, the number two first before you got number one <laughs> who would have thought <laughs> who would have thought so um so anyhow um fast forward a couple months later we actually have a phone call and joe just rips into into my idea with my, my business partner at the time and just rips into the idea but says he wants to have another phone call that next phone call turned into many more phone calls and uh, now we're building rise growth partners together and uh been a good voyage so far, man.
1: I hope so. I've enjoyed it. That's for sure. It's very different than what we first talked about. It's only in size proportions anyway.
0: Definitely much bigger, much bigger, much more interesting. Um, I'd love if I could give a little bit of your formal bio. And then uh, we love origin stories here at the show. So we'd we'd love to jump into your origin story. So um, guys, Joe was, uh, he's a serial entrepreneur. He's founded some massive, massive wealth management firms that have been, massively successful. Um most notably he just sold uh, a few years ago his firm United Capital to Goldman Sachs and then ran all Goldman Sachs wealth management uh for for all Goldman Sachs. But he uh he's should recently
1: just be clear there was private wealth and personal wealth which was the million to 25 million dollar group. That's the group that I ran. And there's the private wealth which I did not run. So I'm make sure if anyone from Goldman hears this, I wasn't the king of Goldman. I was uh, That's right. a partner at Goldman. <laughs> But it was I, a good-sized business, $120 <laughs> 1. $1.2 in revenue, so it was a pretty substantial business.
0: I'm, I'm going to make sure I correct myself next time. PFM, right? Personal finance? PFM, yeah, so, personal finance. So, finance. So, so, yeah. Yeah. so now I know what that means. I never asked yeah. before. I just assumed yeah. it was the whole enchilada. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, And now he's an executive partner at Rise Growth Partners, our new firm, uh, New York Times bestseller, all-around amazing human being. But uh, Joe, welcome to the show. I'm so proud to have you. I'm, I'm even more proud that this is the second thing we're doing. And the first thing was the business thing. Yeah. But uh, I I'd love if you could give some of your personal stories, some of your background or origin story to our audience.
1: So uh, the accent, which is still here, is from Zimbabwe. I was born in Spain, in Barcelona, and lived in seven countries before I was eight and ended up in what was Rhodesia and grew up to a broken family, a very abusive father, physically abusive. And... Um, in the middle of a civil war when i was 12 11 or so uh, my parents got divorced my dad had been in an awful motorbike accident and my mom who had never even graduated high school taught herself to read and write is by herself in what was Rhodesia. and uh, i was 11 she was cutting my hair and she said i'm leaving your dad he was still in the icu at the hospital and she said you're the man of the family and um, Not long thereafter, you know, it was, I don't need to get into all the awfulness of what that felt like, mostly because my dad then came out of the hospital and, um, very often would try to break into the house and just really not healthy. Uh, and then I had to protect my two sisters when we'd go visit on the weekends, which led to a lot of beatings, which I was too small to fight against. He was quite a large man. And, um, in my school life, uh, Rhodesia then became Zimbabwe, but my parents were functionally bankrupt, uh, because the divorce of my dad was not a successful human being. And, uh, the school that I was in, uh, was 80, uh, 95% white kids and 5% black kids. I'd been raised as racist. That's what the way the country was at the time. If you were white, uh, even if you're Spanish, you were considered white at that time. And, um, The school then, Zimbabwe, Rhodesia became Zimbabwe. My own school went from 95% white kids and a few very rich black kids to 95% black kids and 5% really, really poor white kids. So it was like a complete mirror inversion when I was 13 or so, 12 or 13, uh, 13, I guess. And um, it was remarkable because it, it was the core foundation of something I learned, which is everything I thought was true turned out to be not true, you know, Hmm. because these kids who I'd been taught that I was superior to were better athletes than me, better students than me, had all the same dreams and wishes I had, wanted to have fun, wanted to get through school, hated as much as I did. We'd play rugby together. We'd fight about girls together. We'd do all the same stuff, get drunk together at an inappropriate age. And I'm like, my God, we're all just humans. And it was my first, not my first, but one of my early questioning of authority and the rules and the things you think are true. As we talk a lot today, I think great entrepreneurs think a lot about being different and challenging the status quo. That was one of the first real kinks in the armor to my reality that made me go, oh, like it's like the Matrix. There's this whole other world that is unimagined by me. And when some of your fundamental beliefs get changed... You start to question everything, you know, take one small step to a different path and everything appears completely different. Anyway, I left when I was 18 years old with 200 bucks in my pocket, land in England, tell my parents I'm not coming back. And lo and behold, I get mugged in London. They take everything, my backpack, my 200 bucks, my ID. And in Zimbabwe was the reason I left with 200 bucks, even though I worked my whole life from 11 years old on was you couldn't take out more than $200 uh, oh. from Zimbabwe. It was a controlled currency because of uh, uh, sanctions and inflation and all the rest. And so I have 36 pence in my pocket, no credit cards, no cell phones. It's 1989, so it's quite a while ago. And there's the only way to call home is you have to call reverse charges, but Zimbabwe wouldn't accept reverse charges. And I'm like, oh, I would yes. rather die than go home. I'm in the store <laughs> for the first time in my life with my cheap sneakers and my Zimbabwean jacket, which is definitely not made for English snow. And I'm sitting on a park bench and I go, I would rather die than go home. So I slept in the South Kensington train station. I meet this guy who's milling around too. It was the only one that had a toilet, a restrooms in it. So I'm like, well, at least I won't freeze to death. And he (laughs) and I then... It, again, and this is why I believe in manifest destiny. Like I re- believe in serendipity. The world gives you what you need. Because I should, by all good reason, have failed and gone home. But because I chose not to, the universe put Dave Rogan in my path, mm-hmm. and he was milling around too. And he's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I've got no money. I've got no idea. I've got nothing." And he said, "Me either. I got much. I, I said. I said, I've got 36 pence in my pocket. He's like, I've got six. You're six times richer than me. <laughs> and we slept in the train station. We then got jobs at a youth hostel. And from that, I traveled all over the world, ended up in college in in uh, in uh, Cal, in, in the United States, paid for my way through school, and the rest is history. And so that was the start of it. Uh, we can get into how I then started into business. But some very important lessons from my first two parts of my life that have shaped me as an entrepreneur, as a human. The first one is that you have a choice as a human being to either believe that the world is kind or hostile. And I, this is a quote from Albert Einstein that I came across when I was 14 and really down in the dumps, really not sure that it was worth being alive because it was so miserable. Uh, really awful home life. My I'd have to go on weekends, get the crap eaten out of me by my dad, trying to protect my sisters, failing in protecting my mom, having to make money, but not making enough to really support anyone other than myself. And so at that moment, I came across a quote from Albert Einstein said, the most important decision a person can make is whether they live in a kind or hostile universe. Hmm. And it struck me as a remarkable idea that I could choose to think the world was kind. And if you think the world is kind, then you're going to be a good human being and you're going to do your best and you're going to believe in justice and fairness and you'll get what you deserve. It'll all work out. Basically the idea of karma.
0: Can I ask a question on that? Yeah, sure. So having grown up in an environment that that, that one could easily perceive to be hostile... You know, if you're having an abusive dad, hostile, you know, even living in a country where there's war and, and, you know, this is like visually and physically you're, you're in hostility. Hostility is, it's almost like, um, we had a guy on the show that was talking about being pickled in, in what you're pickled in. It's like almost being pickled in hostility. Yeah. How, how, how did you flip that and say, I'm going to choose for it to be? Kindness, like how am I going to choose? Like, how did you live? What was your perspective around that? If you're going to your dad's house on Saturday and dealing with his bullshit, because if the world
1: is kind, it is giving you what you need. I needed to go through that Hmm. to give to get what I deserved, what the world would give me, and the idea that you can choose, no matter what your environment, how you're gonna, what lens you're gonna look at that world through. I just found it incredibly intoxicatingly freeing when I was oh. not a religious guy, but the idea that there was even something in the universe that would con- allow for, for the idea of justice, of kindness or hostility, hmm. implied that there was some greater thing. And yeah. I'll call it God. You can call it whatever you want. Cause I don't think the labels matter. The idea that there is a rhyme and reason to the universe and to your own life that it's there for a reason, and you need to accept it and give it everything you've got. That's your only responsibility is to experience it and leave it all in the field. And guess what? If you're wrong and the world is hostile, we're well, going to get kicked in the teeth anyway. Might as well have an optimistic viewpoint. <laughs> that was Albert Einstein's primary point. Yeah. If you have to choose and you choose it to be hostile, you'll be miserable your whole life waiting for the bad thing to happen And if it doesn't happen, you'll have wasted your life. And if it does, you weren't going to protect yourself anyway. But if the world is kind, then there's never a bad outcome because every bad thing that happens is training for the good thing you're expecting. And if you're wrong and it never comes, well, hell, you'll die saying the good thing's happening tomorrow. So I just found it to be really rational, even though I'm a very emotional human being. And it just spoke to me in an intellectual way to say, hell, if i got to choose – I'm going to choose the one that guarantees happiness, that guarantees purpose and mission. And that makes my mission to be just an experiencing human being. And, you know, as times pass, I've become more of a a student of Zen Buddhism. and And I meditate every day. I've been doing yoga for 25 years. The more I realize that good and bad are just opinions of a particular time. They are not truths. That's just an opinion you have at any particular moment. The truth is, life is an unpredictable voyage, and your only responsibility is to give it all you've got and be in it. If it's crappy, wallow in the crap. If it's good, really relish it, because it all swings, man. These are all just moments in time. And guess what? In a thousand years, no one will remember either of us, no matter what we do. And so if we're little speckles in a universe that has rhyme and reason... Then just give it what you got. And you know. for me, after that, my whole purpose was to make a dent in the universe, to make a positive impact on everyone I touch, and put myself last.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Hey, business leaders and decision makers, get ready to supercharge your success with the ultimate source of business leadership, wisdom, Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review is your daily dose of practical advice for better business management. Visit hbr.org for the latest articles like the art of setting expectations as a project manager or AI can help you ask better questions and solve bigger problems. But this isn't just a list. I personally found the article on AI absolutely mind-blowing. It changed how I approach technology and analytics, providing real-world tools for better decision-making. And don't miss the HBR magazine. It's published six times a year, offering timeless insights around crucial management themes. Perfect for those moments when you just you know want to get away from the screen and dive deep into some transformative content. But wait, there's more. HBR delivers top-notch podcasts, videos, yeah. and real-world case studies. From HBR on leadership to the big idea, HBR covers it all, providing invaluable insights from the best in the business. Harvard Business Review has been a game changer for me. It's challenged my thinking and made me a more effective leader. And don't forget the newsletters. Stay up to date on a variety of business topics, ensuring you're always in the know. Ready to elevate your leadership game? Dive into hbr.org. Explore their podcasts. Read their magazines. The wealth of knowledge is at your fingertips. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month go to hbr.org forward slash subscriptions and enter the promo code greatness right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org forward slash subscriptions and enter the promo code greatness to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and your business. When you were, so let me ask a question. So when you, when you, you were eighteen, obviously. So you said you were thirteen when you had this realization, yeah, and then 13, you end
1: up. 14,
0: in, yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, says so a, a young teenager. I have a thirteen-year-old yeah. son. I mean, yeah. that's that's a kid. He's a kid, right? Yeah. I mean, I love I love him, but he's still a boy. I mean, he's becoming a man, and and so, you suddenly fast forward five, six years later, you're in the UK, and 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 even in that moment, in the toughest of moments, you still had that perspective. At that, well, yeah, I'm
1: sitting on the park bench. And I decided, I, I'm here. I'm, I might as well just be here in the freezing cold and see what the hell happens. And you know what happens? The whole universe opened up. Like, it's remarkable. There will be, in my life, there's been four specific moments that have changed my entire pivot of my life. And that will be true for everyone listening to this. They're going to be moments which at the time are usually really awful. And you learn who you are where there is a choice in having faith or not having faith, believing in yourself or not. And those crucial moments will determine your entire life. And ultimately it is that one decision. Am I going to choose to believe in the world or not? Am I going to take the step or not? And anytime I get that, knot in my belly, like, Ugh, do, should I do this? I'm like, hell Yes. I lead with yes. Everything starts with yes, as Matt Stewart will tell you. you know, our, our buddy,
0: former guest on the show as well. So, yeah. so let's 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 forward search a little bit into um you know how would you end up in the states? I mean that's obviously like a, a you were I, I guess coming from uh, Zimbabwe. Were you able to go to the UK because of the yeah, it was, like it the, was the, the heritage? Us,
1: yeah, and my dad was half American, so that helped. Okay, but the the US, I grew up. And this is something, again, I know I'm an immigrant, so some of the listeners might have some awful comments about us immigrants. But when I was growing up as a 14-year-old, I would watch a show called Dallas. There was a guy on it called J.R. Ewing. And your <laughs> older viewer, viewers and, and listeners will know this, but the younger ones won't. But it painted this picture of this what America was, this incredible place where you could do anything. And I'm like, that is where I belong. I just know I belong then. I can't explain it, but I I turned to my mom and I go, hey, I'm going to go to America. I'm going to be like J.R. Ewing, a good version of him, nonetheless. And she's like, (laughs) well, you're an idiot, you're ugly, and you're lazy. That's not a great combination for doing anything. I'm like, well, guess what? I'm doing it anyway. And that was, I just knew that I was meant to be in America. And so I came to school. Yeah, I actually just did this for my daughter for how you became an American. When you came to school here, you got a one-year student visa. I had met Jan, my wife of 30 years now, in Spain. She proposed to me uh, after I graduated school um, this tiny little earring. I said, I'm not taking it. And I went and spent all of my very limited funds on a tiny little ring. And then I started working as an intern at a very small RIA. I studied finance and marketing. I was a mediocre student. I joke with my kids. I had a GPA of 2.3 from St. Oh, Louis University. <laughs> That's where I ultimately baby. graduated from. But I was a great rugby player. So I was captain of every rugby team, played in played for the team Missouri in the Western States. But uh, you learn most of building a business is not what you learn at school. It's what I learned on the rugby field. That you each have a role and you have to your job is to lift the people around you up. I have a motto in my life as as a CEO of a few firms now, which is to help brilliant people do brilliant work. Like your, your job as a leader, your job as a, a human is to create the conditions where people can really shine and to surround yourself by people who want to shine. Because there are some people who just choose to be miserable. And I try to avoid those people at all costs because they bring yeah. you down too. And so for me, uh, when... When I started, I, I to go back to the, the starting the business. I started as an intern in a firm that would hire me because I traveled the whole West Coast with my wife trying to meet money managers. So I had a degree in finance and marketing, again a crappy GPA, but I had the degree anyway. And at the very last stop in San Diego, there was a guy, Bob Dody, who was a PhD from University of Chicago, he had just bought this very small RIA with thirty million in assets, three employees. And he said, Do you want to go be an intern? And I've just been offered a job uh, by 3M as a fast track manager. And he says to me, Look, if you go do that, your life's going to be very predictable. You'll be a manager, then you'll be a VP, then you'll be a GM, and you'll have this very predictable path. And if you join wealth, who knows what will happen? But I suspect you'll be successful enough that you'll never leave. What
0: year is this? What year is this? This was 1992.
1: 1992.
0: So so for our listeners who don't know what an RIA is, can you give a little bit of background on that? Because I it's want to ask the question It's
1: basically an investment management, a group that takes care of your wealth outside of a brokerage business and charges a fee. Okay. And,
0: and so in 1992, yeah. the, 1992 though, now th- th- this is the business, by the way, I'm, you guys, listeners who listen to the show know because I've been talking about my new private equity business where, where this is a business now that's a very big deal in the wealth management space. But in 1992 an yeah, independent RIA, yeah. that was like like that, no. that was not that was an yeah. unusual place to be is that it correct it was
1: very unusual but i didn't know any different it was just a job and i was a good salesman so we took this business with 30 million I, I i was an intern but i was very people liked my accent and they and thought i was quite good at at what i did and so i grew that to a billion dollars very quickly and at that time that was a very large firm uh, for an independent firm we had great technology we built the first what's called a turnkey asset management, the wrapping of mutual funds or ETFs. That was never done until we started doing it. We sold that business to General Electric when I was 34 years old. And so I was became president of that firm, had a big percentage of it. We sold that to GE, we had private equity, we'd done some acquisitions. That firm is now a public company, it got spun up by GE, it's called Assetmark. Uh, and it's now a multi-billion dollar firm. It wasn't that size when we sold it, I was. Billions in assets, but not multi billion dollar value. When,
0: when you first got there, when you first got there and you were a 30 million dollar shop, and you were an intern, how, how many people were there? Three. And, and and when you guys sold it, and so you worked away hundreds, from it yeah, yeah, hundreds yeah, of employees yeah. and billions of yeah, assets. Yeah. Which I, I want the listeners to just kind of like, like understand this. And, and I have a question for you. I want to kind of before we go, go forward. So intern to president of the company and then you sell the company, which is um, super impressive by the age of what, 33, 34? 34. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. And how long, how many years was that? Nine that years. Voyage?
1: Nine
0: years. So, so coming in as an intern, nine years later, you sell it as the president of the company. Yeah, I. You, you mentioned that you were captain of the rugby team. Were you always a person that like raised your hand to be like the leader? Was this something that came natural to you, or is this something I, that you evolved I into? I couldn't
1: control it, and it's not because I was ever the best athlete ever. I just knew that I. It was my job to do what no one else would be willing to do. And that mm-hmm. wasn't lead. I just would, any time the bad thing had to be done, I would be the one to throw myself on the grenade. And it led people to go, There's, I don't know why, but I want to be with this guy. And I, I've always, my whole life, people have just said, I just want a piece of whatever this guy's doing. And I what, can't where do you, explain it.
0: Where, 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 where do you think it comes from, if you had to guess?
1: I think it's that I am 100% real at all times. Like, I don't think anyone who's ever met me wouldn't go, this dude is 100%, no games, all real. And I have always been give first, take later. Like, Hmm. one thing I'll say, like people say I'm a pretty good salesman, but the reality is I might not be the smartest, I might not be the richest, I might not be, be the hardest working, but I can assure you no one will care more for your well-being than I will. Like, I will always do what's necessary to take care of you. That's because I had to do it for my sisters. I had to do it for my mom. I've had to do it my whole life. And I think underneath everything, at a guttural human level, people see, without knowing what they're seeing, that someone has the resilience and the care and kindness to really do what's right to take care of them. And you don't need words. You You feel it when you meet someone. This is somebody who I have faith in and who I can trust in life, in all instances. We make decisions based on the depth of genuine trust we have in them. That's true of our families. It's true of our friends, that everything is based on how how, how much deep trust do I have in this person. And if you have deep trust in someone, you'll go to the ends of the world for them. And that's been the key of any business i've built that there is at the foundational level and by the way when i was younger i was a hothead and really not pleasant to work with i think i've evolved but underneath it all people like this is a decent human being who might be broken but he will always do the right thing even if he disagrees
0: hey folks darius mishazdeh here from the greatness machine your go-to podcast for unlocking your full potential now You've heard me talk about the power of effective communication, right? It's the key to amplifying your influence, engaging others, and really making your mark in the world. Well, well, hold on to your hats because I have something special for you today. Economist Education has rolled out a, a game-changing course on business writing and storytelling that's going to take your communication skills to the next level. Picture this. Economist Education provides online executive education courses built on the expertise and analytical rigor of the economist itself these aren't your run-of-the-mill classes, folks. We're talking about two to six weeks online programs designed to empower business professionals like you to thrive in a changing world and workplace. These courses feature senior editors from The Economist and invited experts who dish out the insights on the latest developments in the business world. It's like having a VIP pass to the forefront of knowledge. When you sign up, you get a three-month digital subscription to The Economist to support your learning journey. But here's the kicker, my friends, get 15% off any course from the Economist Education exclusively available through my URL, education.economist.com forward slash greatness. And don't forget to enter the promo code greatness at registration to unlock your discount. This offer ends on March 31st. So you better hustle if you want to seize this opportunity now. Don't wait until it's too late. So for 15% off any course from The Economist Education, head over to education.economist.com forward slash greatness right now and use the promo code greatness at registration. Your future self will thank you for it now. What's up, TGMers? JustWorks supports small businesses with simple, seamless solutions like integrated payroll. Now for limit time only, try out their payroll plan for one month for free as a reliable and flexible platform just earns back time so you can focus on running your small business with big confidence running a business is demanding I and mean, like look, look, we've all been there you know you're juggling countless tasks and responsibilities every single day that's why when it comes to managing payroll you need a solution that streamlines the process so you can focus on what really matters growing your business experience the relief of streamlined payroll management with their comprehensive solution. From automated payments to accurate tax calculations and seamless withholdings, JustWorks got you covered. Plus, their expert support ensures you have the assistance every single step of the way. And here's the best part. There's no hidden fees. Designed to be flexible, JustWorks can support teams of one to as many as your small business hires, including contractors. In just 30 minutes, set up a payroll that streamlines paying your team, saves time mitigates errors and is a desktop and mobile friendly you can even integrate time tracking and benefits of support running your small business with big confidence don't miss your chance to get one month free by visiting justworks.com slash greatness secure the limited time offer and start letting JustWorks run your payroll so you don't have to start your free month now at justworks.com forward slash greatness let me let me ask you a question because I actually, it's funny when, I've, as we've gotten to know each other, I, I think I see a lot of myself in you. Um, like everything you're describing, I'm like, that's how I feel, right? And so when you say it, I'm like, uh-huh, that's how I feel. And one thing that in being that type of a person where I've always been one to be like, that's not fair. And I'm going to call it out, even if it's an unpopular thing to say, and I will take the grenades and I will feel the pain because that's the right thing to do at this moment. I have found that rarely is it reciprocated. And I've been disappointed in a lot of people over my life because of it. How do you feel about that?
1: I, I have learned that if I'm ever disappointed, it's because I have irrational expectations. I'm a big student of <laughs> Vedanta. And disappointment mm-hmm. is either a reflection of you having misguided expectations mm-hmm. or you're being selfish. It's one of those two. It's always one of those two. If mm-hmm. I am frustrated at my truly exceptionally awesome wife, it is never her fault. It's that I want something from her that is either selfish or that she is not the human who would do that thing. And it's very, very hard. I'm a huge believer in extreme accountability, like extreme ownership. I will never blame anyone for anything in my life because it's mine. And I choose to react however I choose. I choose to set the expectations. And if somebody doesn't live up to my expectations, then my expectations were wrong. And as a parent of three amazing daughters, whenever I've had a fallout with any of them, especially I have a 15-year-old now, my youngest, but I'm reminded of it all the time. If we have any falling out, it's not her fault. It's my fault because I'm the mature one. I have expectations that are not reasonable, or I want something that she doesn't want to give me, which is selfish. So I think if we all as humans spent less time pointing fingers and spent more time going, why do I need this? Why does it hurt me? What am I feeling that that's causing me to, to be hurt by this or angry mm-hmm. by this? That's usually rooted in some fear or some insecurity that you haven't actually stared at. And so, I, I, again, because I meditate and read so much about how we all think about this world, I always just start with me. Yeah. It's pointless getting frustrated at the circumstances because they are what they are. And one of the lessons I try to teach my girls is the outcome is not something you get to choose. There mm. is like You can give your best to a game and still lose, but as long as you've given it everything you've got, all you can do be is spent and bum that you lost, but you won't kick yourself over it because you have no say over whether you ultimately won or not. Things happen that you have no control over. That's true in business. It's true in life. It's true in everything you do, that you can give it your best crack. And ultimately, if you worry about the outcome, you'll take shortcuts to ensure an outcome that maybe you wasn't meant to be. So- Again, because, especially in America, we're so results-oriented, and I'm no different, I'm a competitive Mm -hmm. human being, I try to remind myself, hey, this isn't about anyone else. This is about me. It's about what I gave. And what I get will get taken care of. And sometimes the biggest losses end up being the biggest, most valuable lessons you'll have years later, which is hard to absorb when you've just taken a crack in the teeth. But... There's not a moment where I wasn't knocked back on my ass, where I didn't look back years later and say, oh, my God, thank God I got kicked in the teeth the way that I did. Yeah. But as you, if, when you're younger, you take it personally. And this person did me wrong, and that person disappointed me. I'll tell you, in the last business, I made 150 millionaires. And as you've seen, I think I've had an impact on the industry that that is outsized for a little Zimbabwe guy who came in with 200 bucks. And yet... <laughs> Definitely, There will be people who don't know me who say I'm an arrogant this and arrogant that, and he's an opinionated that, and some of it might be accurate, and it doesn't matter. What I know is the people who are closest to me have the most love for me. And that's the most important thing, really, because they know you. And yeah. they will, nonetheless, even though I made 150 millionaires, how many of them sent me a note of thank you? Three? Wow. The prior firm, that's- dozens of millionaires. One. Why? Wow. Because when people get to that outcome, they almost always feel like I earned it, I deserved it, and they did. And usually it's like, man, I should have gotten even more because they're comparing the sauce to everyone else. They don't go, I don't know where I could have gone that I would have made $8 million, $10 million. Where else could that have been? And thanks, Joe, for giving me that crack. And by the way, everyone who I've worked with, Typically goes on to do spectacular things, and I know they appreciate it. You just never think to say, "Hey, I couldn't have done it without you." And I'm very good about telling them all, oh, "You deserved it and earned it," and I'd say it all the time. And so they felt like that, and it's true, they did, and they they deserved it. But people, look, we're all selfish human beings. We're all right. on our voyage. We're gonna. We were born alone and we'll die alone, and that's the reality. And the truth is most people use other people's success as a gauge for their own success or failure. They don't really care whether you win or lose. They just get annoyed that you, you're beating them. Even though it's you're a right. fix, it, they just act like it's a fixed pie. And by you're succeeding, you're taking something from them. And I tell everyone, it's not a fixed pie. Everything you give, the pie will get bigger and your slice will grow even if it's a smaller percentage. And I tend to be a make the pie bigger human being if you contribute and make the pie bigger, you'll be fine. And by the way, if you don't get it financially, you'll get in other ways. You know, I wrote the first check, hired the first person and built United Capital from scratch. We sold it for $800 million. And I had, by the end of it, 12, 13%, which is amazing. But I had brought so many people along and most people in my shoes, certainly the second go around would have kept 70, 80%. And my wife would always say, my God, you give away so much. I'm like, honey, I have an amazing marriage. I've got great health. I have amazing kids. And the universe is taking care of me, the things that I really care about. And money just is not one of them. And that view that, go, especially because of what I do in the wealth space, we all get consumed by a number. And I have seen countless people get to the biggest numbers you could imagine and be Mm -hmm. the most miserable human beings with multiple failed marriages, with awful relations with their kids, so obsessed with a number that means nothing. And when they die, guess what, how much of it they take with them? None of it. The only thing that will be left is the impact that you made on the people around you. That's all that will be left. And that will be gone too. But isn't it nice? If people look back at the end of your life and say, God, what would my life been like if that dude hadn't showed up on the planet? Yeah, and guess what—the millions you leave behind, the billions you leave behind—not one of those dollars gives a shit about you, but every <laughs> human you touched, yeah, you can have countless impact, and that for me is the most exciting thing about being a human—that you get to have this outsized impact in exponential ways for every good act you have, and you might never to get not, to see it.
0: I want. I want to. I want to- you kind of came to the punchline on United, but but I, I love the story of United Capital, you know. And I want to, so I want to rewind a little bit. So, so you end up selling a Centurion. You're at, Tell us a little bit about that that exit from GE. G, oh, i was
1: awful. I, So I wrote my second book then, and I interviewed 100 uh, YPOs entrepreneurs who built and sold companies, and I asked them all. I said I'm writing a book about how to build a sellable business, and I'd said I would like to start at the end. What was it like after you saw them? It was amazing. It was American dream, blah, blah, blah. And I'd say, and it's, by the way, male, female people all over the world. I'm like, God, I don't feel that way at all. And 100% of them, 100% said me either. You can't really say it, but it was like a death in the family. I made sacrifices I shouldn't have made and everything else. And that was the beginning of this idea that money's just fuel. And we get lost in money rather than in life. So I thought, I'm going to build a wealth management firm that talks about life and not about money, that Realizes money is an emotional category, and I brought in behavioral economics, great technology, and built this really industry-changing brand. Because United Capital, prior to us doing it, was all about men talking about wealth and beta and alpha and IRR. And I'm like, I don't care about any of that. Even though I have academic training and CFA and went to great graduate schools, I'm like, hell no, I want to talk about life. And that business again, we grew it to 25 billion in assets and. 800 employees all over the country, sold it to Goldman. And it was the whole industry has changed as a consequence of it. So, you know, again, you never know how your crazy ideas were. At the time, by the way, like my first company, everyone said I was nuts doing what we were doing. Why are you talking about feelings? Why are you bringing in so many women executives? I'm like, you know why? Because wealth is fuel for your life. And Mm. we need a a completely different lens about how we talk about money and so that was the whole idea and again it was an incredible voyage and then I joined Goldman a really eye-opening experience because the people were amazing and i learned a ton about operating at that size because again it was just so much bigger and it's an operation 50,000 employees billions and billions in assets and run by you know again only 400 people so it was quite an interesting experience learned a ton but Last holidays, you know, I was on vacation with my kids and my wife and daughters were like, I've been at Goldman for four years. Dad, you don't seem happy. And I'm like, you're right. I'm not happy. And I've always, when I realize I'm on the wrong track, I cannot go one more day without correcting it. So I just knew at that moment, right at the holidays, I'm like, you know what? I got to change things. I'm not, while it's very intoxicating, being a partner at Goldman, going to New York every two weeks and my offices were there. It's very intoxicating, but I'm like, who cares about any of that? I, am I making an impact? Because I'm on this planet to make an impact, and I don't think I can move the Goldman ship the way I can do other things. So I left, and at the time, people were like, are you crazy? And I was like, you know what? I just can't. I'm not on this planet to coast. It's not my thing. Uh, I want to make an impact, and this is what i, I got to change things. And then you and I met, and uh, hopefully we're going to change the world again.
0: Yeah, man. I mean, uh, that's the plan. Ever walked into a place and instantly felt drawn in by the scent? Let me share a recent shopping experience. It was a crisp morning, and I decided to browse through a new store that had just opened in the neighborhood. As I stepped inside, a refreshing scent of citrus and pine greeted me, instantly lifting my mood and making me feel welcome. As I explored the aisles, the pleasant aroma lingered, enhancing my shopping experience and making it more enjoyable. It made me realize how much scent can influence our perception of a store and how it can make a difference in our overall experience. For stores using scent strategically, that can help them stand out from the competition and create a welcoming environment that keeps customers coming back. If you've ever been in a Banana Republic, Abercrombie, Marriott, or Weston, you know how fragrance can take your experience from good to incredible. Scent Air guided stores, hotels, event spaces, and other businesses in creating fragrance experiences that encourage customers to spend more, stay longer, and leave them happier. Ultimately, enabling businesses to stand out among their competitors. The secret behind scent marketing is that it's more than just filling your space with a nice scent. Scent Air is proven to increase earned revenue up to 9%, keep customers in your business up to 18% longer, and boost customer satisfaction up to 20% more. Give customers an experience they won't forget with scent Air's professional quality fragrances designed for businesses just like yours. Go to scentair.com forward slash greatness to learn how you can save twenty five percent off your first Whisper Max diffuser and explore other great deals today. So, look—you've had a pretty illustrious, uh, very illustrious you know, entrepreneurial career. You've you've changed an industry, and, and I'm and I'm going to give a little bit of feedback because I think it's a lot of p- folks. If you're in like a really sexy industry like fashion or music or film, you know people know who those rock stars are. Um, in the business world, if you're in tech, it's, it's, it's a little bit more obvious because they get the covers of the magazines. It, it, in these more niche industries like wealth or, and even my former industry, like my former industry does not have what there is in wealth. And and, and so I'm going to say this and, and, you know, you know this already, but I'm going to say it just because the audience needs to hear it. Joe is legitimately a freaking rock star in the wealth management space. It's, it's, it's weird coming from a different space and seeing it because it's like I'm not that doesn't really exist in housing or in mortgage, but it does exist in wealth. Why do you think that is? Cause I'm, it's, it's kind of, it's been, it's been an unusual thing for me to experience. I'm, <laughs> I, 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 I've never seen it before in, in other industries.
1: You know what, when you talk differently than everyone else and you have, again, you have to have success. Otherwise you're just a guy talking. Um, I think because I wrote so much about where I thought things were going and it turned out to be genuinely, generally accurate and we had enough success shared with enough people, then I think I've been mostly a good person in every way that I've tried my best to be a good person. And, of course, it matters that you're well spoken. Of course, it matters that you're successful. But ultimately, it matters that you're making an impact and affecting the way people think. That's what a visionary does. It affects the way you live your everyday life. And in, my, in our little world of wealth management, there weren't a lot of people doing things who weren't looking at what I was writing and saying about where I thought things were headed. And again, I, I love music. I play guitar, but I, I don't know if a rock star is the right word. I just know that because I, was, I did it for 15 years and was so vocal about my failures and our successes and what was working and not, being vulnerable, being super open, but also being generally accurate about what was missing and what could be better. And it inspired, as you know now, this whole new generation of incredible firms that are saying, taking those ideas and have taken them to places I could never have imagined. But they all are very gracious about, Joe, I started this because I followed you for a decade and followed everything you said. And we thought we could take that idea and take it even further. And they have, and that's you know we were just talking about it earlier. It's just remarkable when I get on the phone with people I've never met who've heard me speak or uh, read what I've written and or followed me a lot through the decades and just said, "I've done everything based on what you did." And and by the way, the most important thing—they're amazing people who've built amazing things—and I'm like, I can't believe that I had even the slightest impact. This dude from Zimbabwe who was. Literally, had nothing going for him. I'm like, I don't even know how it happened. But that, for me, is much more rewarding than any financial outcome. Like, what an amazing thing to have shaped that many lives that I'll never know how many of those people there are who are delivering things to clients that never would have received them had I not come here, had we not changed the dialogue to talk about what a real wealth advisor should do, which is care deeply about your entire life to help you remove financial anxiety. Like that's not the way people talked prior to United Capital. People would talk about wealth as an investment solution, maybe a financial plan. And we changed the discussion to be like, look, if you're an advisor, your responsibility is to take the financial stress out of people's lives to make their lives easier, to help make things more comprehensive, to understand who they are so that they don't make screw-ups in their life that ruin it. Because it doesn't matter if you outperform the market or not. What really matters is, are you making choices that align with your values? That's all that really matters. Like, I promise you, when you look back at your life, the things you will remember when you had to make a trade-off between money and something that was true to yourself. Like, I always wanted to be close to my family, but I chose to be away from them to make money. And whether you feel good or bad, those moments in your life, where you didn't live up to your highest ideal of who you wanted to be will be the moments you regret forever. There is an ideal version of us that we all have in our mind. And then there's the real version and the gap between who we want to be and who we are, the narrower that gap is, the more energetic, the more happy, the more authentic and real you'll be. But that gap, if you don't monitor it and say, am I truly who I want to be? Am I acting like that ideal version of me? And how frequently is that not true? And it will be true often that you don't live up to the best version of you. But if you don't take the time every day, I meditate, but every day and go, at what times today was I not my best version? Mm -hmm. Do I wish I'd have done something differently? And then even if you don't want to take the time to fix it or apologize, to just say, Just stewing it a bit, living the regret a bit, and then say, i got to do better. You just do that day after day after day after day. It compounds out so that the gap narrows and narrows and narrows and narrows. And you can't change the past, but you can have a huge impact in how you think about the future and the version of you that you are. And that's That's truly life's deepest and most important voyage is that. Like, hey... How far am I between who I want to be and who I am? That includes exercise. It includes being a loving husband or a good dad, mom, whatever you are, sister, brother, daughter, son. Those things matter. And we can blame everyone else, but it's going to fix nothing if you don't stop by saying, what was my role in this outcome and how do I change my role? And I want to share a personal story because I think it plays to this. My stepdad's in Africa. He was just here for Thanksgiving. Um, he's only six years older than me my mom was the original cougar she died <laughs> when, I was, uh, when she was 52 years and years ago but we're still very very close my stepdad and I and he has a son uh, and he's a loving uh, young man but they've fallen apart and he's annoyed my stepdad with his son and they both love each other and I said to him look can you stop being mad at him Because you both love each other and he is who he is. So if you want a loving relationship, you need to change you. And if he changes, great. But if not, you got to love him on his terms. Even if it's selfish, even if you think it's wrong, do it anyway. Because at least you'll know that you have a loving relationship with him, even if he doesn't love you back. And Hmm. if that's what you want, it's the only thing you can control. And We spent four hours just talking philosophically about that idea that, hey, you have the choice. And so don't blame your circumstances. Don't blame anyone else because it's going to be what it's going to be. You just have to be willing to say, what am I going to change about me and my perspective or my actions to actually feel good that I am narrowing the gap between who I want to be and who I am?
0: How do you let me ask you a question because what you're talking about i have seen it I, we've talked a little bit about this in the past but i've actually seen there there be an application in how you build businesses in this way and i and i know we're talking about the the interpersonal self yeah but 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 a lot of our listeners are very high level ceos growing big businesses yeah. but i actually like everything you just said i'm like that sounds like how you treated united capital That it's sounds exactly
1: like how i've run every business you know why because there's this thing we many entrepreneurs have, many CEOs have that this is CEO me and this is personal me, and I chose to break those walls apart I'm like I'm going to bring the real me to everything because I don't want to have work me be miserable, salty go get them guy and then go home and be this loving, fun, loving guy and when I was young, the first company I built, people like. Would you believe that Joe's like this party animal? And like, (laughs) I was 28, you know, I was a young kid. And people would be like, he's so serious and buttoned up. And finally, I'm like, why the hell am I so serious and buttoned up? Like, I'm a fun guy and people like me and have fun with me. Like, why don't I bring that to work? It was remarkable how much quicker our business grew, how much better the talent we recruited when we narrowed the gap. And I said, what kind of company do we want to be? And then, What kind of people do we want in it? And let's just narrow the gap. And as you know, at Rise, we have three simple rules. We're good people. And what does that mean? We do the right bloody thing. Number two, we do work that matters. So only do the things that make you proud, that are important and make a difference. And third, we have a great time. Like those are three really simple rules that you can have to run a business. And It's been very effective for me. It's allowed for for us to always have a great voyage. We've fortunately been successful too. And my stepdad will tell you, he can't believe we were successful because he always believed and told me this. And I believed it too. In order to be successful, you must sacrifice, you must suffer. Well, that's not true. That's just a story we tell ourselves because in order to get to success, most entrepreneurs went through huge suffering. We're all broken human beings. There's very few entrepreneurs who don't have come from suffering and pain and insecurity. And so we bring that into our souls and make that part of our ethos, but it's not true. And when you let that narrative go, when you let that falsehood go, it's remarkable how you can create a business that can be successful and also fun and most importantly mission-driven and actually be proud of every day that attracts like a lighthouse, the most attractive people, most
0: brilliant people. What do you, um, you know, you had said earlier, you were talking about not being like, obviously you're, you, you're a competitive person and you have that fire burning inside of you and, and you've accomplished so much, but you said something that, that maybe might be counterintuitive to listeners who, who heard you say one thing you said that you're not focused on the outcome. You're not trying to create an outcome. And yet like you've had these amazing outcomes consistently happen. And I know that, like for me, I've struggled with that in my life. And I think other people struggle with that. Why do you think that is?
1: I think that, first of all, people are, we tend to be very messy thinkers. And I am long-term greedy rather than short-term greedy. And what that means is I'm thinking five years out, not next week. And the advantage of having a privately held company is you can think long-term greedy. And so what you want to do is say, where do I want to be in five years? And break it down into increments that are manageable or bite-sized to be crystal clear. But if I want to be there in five years, what has to be true today? What has to be true six months from now? What has to be true year, a, a year from now? As you know, when we were starting this, we had a mountain of things to do. I'm like, guys, only two things matter. We're going to get the right partners in place, and we're going to get the right financials in place. Everything else is secondary. Because if we don't get that, we don't get to the next space. And the way you need to think about it, my next book, my fourth book, is on this idea. I'm calling it The Voyage. And it's this idea that you are not going to end up where you think you're going. I've never started a business that ended up looking the way I started expecting it to look. Think about Columbus going to India. He didn't get where he thought he was going. He got somewhere better. And it's true of every entrepreneur. Wherever you think you're going to be in five years, it will be different. And so what you want to do is be clear about where you want to head generally, and then just get to the first oasis. Because once you get to that next oasis or the next island in your voyage, you're going to have a bigger boat. It's going to change the trajectory of next stops that you might go to. You're going to have different people on that boat, and you're going to have different supplies on that boat. You might be able to go a lot further, and you'll get to the next island, and then you're going to say, oh, wow. Look at that over there. And you're gonna see opportunities. So being agile but persistent and have a long-term greedy view, the outcome will be whatever it is. I never imagined I'd sell to Goldman Sachs. I never imagined I'd be a partner of Goldman. And yet there it happened. I was just looking to build the best thing I could and keep growing and keep creating a great business that was built to last with great culture, making an impact, and just get to the next stop. And then we'll figure out what goes next. So you know. Again, nowadays, five years is too far out. I think a three-year increments are more than enough. But break that three years into one year. Once you get to the end, one year, ask yourself, is that three-year goal too conservative? Should it change? And make the pivots.
0: Yeah, I love that, man. Um, Persistence,
1: adaptability, and optimism. Those are the three. Those are the magic three if you're going to be
0: successful. All right, listeners, you heard that. We're going to put it in the show notes So. You got to tattoo it on your arm. Um, I want to, you know, that we're we're coming here at the end of the show. We have about nine minutes. I want to talk about one thing, and I want to go to the greatness question. So there's something I learned from you that um, I had never heard someone say before, and it 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 made me actually. Th- I kind of started going back through my life and thinking how I'd apply it. So you talked about this concept of working at the top of your license. And how you, when you talk to young young folks who are looking to really, you know, do great things in the world, that, that you think that's really important. Would you, would you mind teaching our audience what that means? Because I think that was one of the more profound things I've learned from working with you.
1: So uh, working at the top of your license basically means leaning into your strengths and spending your time, the vast majority of your work life, on the things you're great at. I'm not a detail guy. I hate operations. Uh, and all of the specific things that aren't about laying new grounds. I am a guy who needs to be out on the boat finding and charting new waters. But I recognize if somebody's not making sure people are fed and taken care of, I'm going to fail. Now, when you start up in your career, you're going to have to do it all. And you're going to learn what you're drawn to and what you're not. And as you get more mature, you're going to have things you're great at and things you're very marginal at. And you need to, if you're going to be successful, recognize where you are not Contributive, where you're there but not adding value because that's how you will fail. You will fail because you won't pay attention to it. So you either have to become marginally better, which is a waste of your time because then you're not working on your best skills, the top of your license. But you can't ignore the fact that you have to be well-rounded to succeed as a human and as a business person. Then you need to complement it. So my first partners are always people who are great at things that I'm not great at. Like you are an amazing guy at following through it, all the stuff that I have no interest in reading the shareholder agreements. And now I'm good at it, but I'm, I hate it. And I know it's not what I'm great at. What I'm great at is telling the story, p- figuring out where we need to go. I'm pretty good at making sure the math works. But what you need to do in every environment is say, where I'm not great, I got to bring great in. And surround yourself with people who allow you to shine in the things that you are put on this earth to do. And that's true in a business context, too. When you hire somebody, there's a great expression my um, Bob, my uh, former chairman, had, which is every single diamond, even the perfect ones, have an inclusion. Now, every Mm -hmm. diamond also has brilliance. And Julius Caesar had this expression, whenever you take uh, any group of people over, he was one of the greatest conquerors in the world the reason the Roman Empire was so successful is whenever they took over a new group of people, they would say, what's their brilliance? And they would use that brilliance for the success of the Roman Empire. Mm. So they'd have a group that were really great with fabrics or with spices or with warcraft. They would say, this is what we're using and taking from this group to make the republic better, to make, again, whether you approve of their conquering ways or not, you can still learn from the idea that and this was Julius Caesar, that every human has a brilliance. Every person, every group of people have a brilliance that they can contribute to you. And that's true, by the way, of anyone you meet in your life. So this idea of you practicing at the top of your license, it's also true that everyone you meet has the opportunity to teach you something, no matter how superior you might feel to them. I like put quotation marks around that. Because truly, nobody's better than anyone. But If you take that view that everyone is in front of you for a reason and has some form of brilliance to share with you, and also, by the way, has an inclusion, so that I very early on, whenever I work with anyone, I go, what is their inclusion? What is the carbon Mm. footprint in here? And can I live with it? So I like them when they're really obvious, because then it's like, (laughs) okay, they're really obvious. No one's going to see their brilliance. And I know I'm not going to mention his name. You know who I'm thinking about. Yeah yeah. Who has the minute I met him I'm like, "Oh, this is a guy who absolutely gets underestimated by everybody." And I immediately went, "He must have an incredible brilliance that he does."
0: I love that. I was going to ask you what my inclusion is, but we'll leave that off air. Um, <laughs> um let's 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 go. You know, we got a couple minutes left. I'd love for us to get to the greatness question and we'll get the show wrapped up and um man, you first care of all too much. Yeah, I care too much. You
1: care too much. Uh, It's the fatal flaw of most entrepreneurs. They are overwhelmingly loyal and actually don't realize that by caring so much, you end up harming the other person. That you're not actually being kind by softening the blow, by being too gentle and not being direct and straightforward when somebody's not. And I will share that with you because I love you. And I see that it's a lovely, lovely flaw to have. (laughs) Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it's not one that I have.
0: Yeah. But it I probably I, it it balances out though, because I'm yes. learning from you. So it's yeah. good. Yeah. I love that. All right. I appreciate that. That's good. And and I actually appreciate that you sharing it. Um <laughs> well man, listen, first of all, I'm so pumped to have for us to be on this voyage together. And um and the fact that we did the podcast second and the voyage first is even better. That's good. Um and um yeah, let's let's go to the greatness question and we'll get wrapped up here. So Uh, listeners, you know, the greatness question. And when we have greatness, like Joe Duran on the show, we love to hear it, which by the way, man, you've been dropping, like, like this could have been 10 episodes of of greatness that you dropped (laughs) on the show. So I really, I really do appreciate the amount of knowledge bombs you've been dropping for for myself and for the audience. I always learn from our guests and this has been a great episode. So, but let's end with our greatness question. So what is the, the number one barrier to creating greatness that you've overcome in your life? And how did you overcome it?
1: Asking the question, what if I'm wrong? Uh, When I was younger, 28, 29, when we first crossed the billion dollar threshold, I really believed we were indestructible. I was an arrogant ass. I listened to nobody, surrounded myself with people just like me who kissed my ass. And I was not a great husband, to tell you the truth. And I don't think I, I would have been a great dad either, or even a great friend, because I just always presumed I was right. And the most important thing I learned when I started studying deeply, um, and I learned this from the Dalai Lama, which is every good act comes from humility, started with the question, what if I'm wrong? If you ask that question of yourself in everything that you do, you open the door to possibilities about yourself and the people around you that allows you to be vulnerable and open to corrections and to growing. If you are not willing to ask yourself, what if I'm wrong? You will stop growing. And your requirement as a human, you either grow or die as a human. Hmm. And that should be true until the day you die. That if you ask, not because you have lack of confidence, not because you have lack of belief, but just ask the question, what if I'm wrong in every relationship with your kids, with your spouses, with your relationships, with your workers. It allows for people to challenge you. Even if you are an opinionated ass like me, everyone knows. Just challenge him. And I, I'll ask a lot of questions, and I will pivot the minute I realize, oh, you're right. Vulnerability and being wrong, believe it or not, is hugely important to attracting the most amazing things to your life. So to me, that would be the, the counterintuitive but honest answer that led to my most success in this world is just being open to being wrong. And most importantly, in your opinions, your opinions are not facts. They're just thoughts that you have that will change
0: love that man jo and lastly, i
1: just want to say yeah you can have anything in this world but it starts with your thoughts you're a prisoner of your thoughts so just spend time asking yourself why do i think how i do and is it serving me is it actually helping me to get the life that i want because you can have anything you want in this world Aris, I've really enjoyed this. I, I know I've done nothing but talk. But no, I hope no. anyone listening that this has been useful in some small way. And uh, thanks for uh, for having me on.
0: Yeah, the, you know, the, the the pleasure was mine. So much gratitude from me to get to, like I said, spend time with you like this. And um, for listeners, look, I have a front row seat to seeing someone that's manifested a beautiful life for himself. Uh, don't take any of these words anything but to heart because he has really created a lot of beautiful things in the world. And I'm really excited to to be on a journey with you to create more. So thank you so much, Joe. Until next time. Peace out, everybody. Have a good one. love you. You are listening to the greatness machine and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. Uh Whether your resolution is to save money, eat better, or stress less, HelloFresh is here to help you do all three. Say hello to your most delicious year yet. Fresh ingredients and chef crafted recipes at the price you'll like. Delivered right to your door. Don't let recipe boredom strike because HelloFresh has more options than ever before. Dig into your biggest menu yet with over 45 dinner options to choose from weekly and even more market add-on items that suit any lifestyle. As someone who's always on the go, the convenience of having delicious and nutritious meals delivered right to my doorstep has been a game changer. I'll never forget the first time I tried HelloFresh. the excitement of unboxing fresh ingredients and the joy of cooking up a restaurant-quality meal in my own kitchen. I felt like I had my own personal chef, minus the hefty price tag. What really hooked me was the variety of recipes they offer. From exotic cuisines to classic comfort food, HelloFresh keeps my taste buds dancing. And the best part? No more last-minute grocery runs or wasted ingredients. Everything I need is right in the box. Ready to join America's number one meal kit family? Dive into a world of flavor with HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com slash great free and use the code GREATFREE at greatfree for free breakfast for life one breakfast item per box while subscription is active that's free breakfast for life at hellfresh.com/greatfree with code greatfree
2: this episode is brought to you by the yap media podcast network i'm halataha ceo of the award winning digital media empire yap media